Welcome everybody to Sober, Stories of Badgers Empowering Recovery. This is a podcast with the Wisconsin Voices for Recovery, and my name is Shelby Hagen. I'm a research coordinator at the University of Wisconsin and a member of the Wisconsin Voices for Recovery team. I'm not in recovery myself, but I'm an ally and an advocate for the recovery community. Wisconsin Voices for Recovery is a peer-run movement that helps unite people in recovery, their families, professionals, and allies. As a diverse coalition of recovery advocates, we serve as a statewide network to link services and support to those in need. Joining me today is Mike Sheridan, one of my wonderful colleagues at the Wisconsin Voices for Recovery. I'll let Mike introduce himself, but Mike, you have some really great energy and insight to share with us, and I'm really excited to have a great discussion with you today on the podcast. So Mike, welcome, and please tell our listeners a bit more about you. Well, thanks, Shelby. This is uh, really a, a great honor, and, and uh, you know, I feel really blessed to have you as uh, as my interviewer, and um, um, it's been great to get to know you. So uh, I'll jump right in. I, you know, I mean, probably the biggest thing I think to start out would be just as you know, people might wonder how how did he get here? You know. I'm, actually going to be 63 years old in a, in a couple of weeks. And, you know, um, you know, how, how did this journey start? And, and what it boils down to is I came from what I call a long line of drinkers. And, um, it was really natural for me to fall into the trap of drinking because it was just a normal, every, every day occurrence, um, in the environment that I was in. And, um, you know, my, my parents were, were great people. They went to work every day. They worked hard, but they came from a generation where they played hard, too. And so, you know, it was just natural for all of us seven kids in, in my family to um, follow in their footsteps. And so, um, you know, part of it was, you know, part of my journey was as a senior in high school, I ended up getting married and I had... Um, uh, my, my girlfriend at the time had got pregnant. And so my senior year in high school, I was married and my first son was born as a senior in high school, which I think sometimes falls in line with, uh, you know, situations where you come from a, a family uh, of addiction where there's a lot of uh, pregnancy at a young age. So that was kind of how I got my start. And, and um, I went to work at General Motors at 18 years old, day after I graduated from high school. And, um, and uh, kind of had already fallen into uh, a culture of a lot of drinking. And um, I drank until I was 33 years old and finally had had enough. And I, I thought, I just can't do this anymore. And a lot of, a lot of craziness happened uh, in, in my drinking career, uh, which led me to, you know, finally making that decision. It was quite frankly, the best decision I ever made was to get into recovery. It, it changed my life and um, uh, allowed me to do all those things that I talked about. And I'm sure we'll get into some more of those as we get into this. But, you know, I just never was able to achieve any goals because of my drinking. Had a lot of great ideas, but never followed through on anything. And so, um, you know, I'm just really fortunate because uh, because of recovery, my family, um, I've got two wonderful sons and, uh, and am remarried. And we actually have um, 
five kids all together and 10 grandkids. So it, it's been an amazing journey um, of ups and downs and a lot of life lessons. Yeah, yeah. And I appreciate you kind of sharing the whole kind of trajectory of how you got involved with drinking in the first place and what kind of inspired you to get out of it. Um, so going back to when you first decided to kind of join the recovery community, um, if you could turn back time and talk to yourself in the very beginning of your recovery, what would you say to yourself? Um, you know, I would probably, uh, I, I'd probably say, you know, looking back, uh, to really take the program seriously and, and, um, don't question it, just go with it. And, and the things that I've learned over the years and the opportunities that I've been given because of my recovery and the, probably the biggest thing I would, I would say would be to really just do the next right thing. You know, the program teaches you to do the next right thing and, and to, to be really open to listen to advice be open to um, embrace new friendships and, um, you know, and, and really go after your goals. And, and I think that's probably, uh, those are the things that really have allowed me to achieve um, the things in my life that I, that I really wanted to. The other thing it would, would be uh, a friend of mine. It's, it's an old saying, um, uh, you know, it's really about doing the next right thing. And a friend of mine always would say in meetings, his name was Marv and he'd always say in meetings, he said, you know, if you, if you're not doing the next right thing, and if you get off the path of recovery and you, you know, uh, he, he said, there's a, an 8,000 pound gorilla waiting to kick your ass. Excuse my French, but that's the way he said it. And it's so true. I've had some real bumps in the road uh, in recovery. And, and, and most of it was because it was because of my own self-will and not doing the next right thing. And, and you know, got myself into some jams. But what I love about the program is you have the ability to arrest that behavior or, or whatever the situation, whatever the action is and, and to get back on track. And there's 12 steps and 12 traditions in recovery. And, and if you follow those and, and you're going to meetings and, and of which I still go, um, I was working with a, with a guy, um, that, uh, had struggled with heroin and it was him and I were going to a meeting. It was on January 1st. And it was a, a little over two and a half years ago. And he says, wow, you, you, I said, well, I'm getting my coin today. Cause that's my sobriety birthday. And he says, wow, you must still really want to drink that you, you still go to meetings. And I, and I told him, I don't even think about drinking. I, I said, I go to meetings because first I meet a lot of nice people, but the opportunity to help others. But I said, quite frankly, the reason I go to meetings personally is because every once in a while, the circus still shows up in town. Uh, you know, and what, what I mean, it's still, you know, the crazies still uh, can uh, sneak into my brain. And, and uh, so going to meetings is a way for me to check myself, to have an opportunity to uh, 
talk about things that are bothering me and also listening to, um, you know, how, what other people have experienced. Yeah. And I really appreciate you kind of sharing more about the program itself, because as someone who isn't in recovery, I'm not as familiar with the program, but I do know that a lot of people who are in the recovery community speak very highly of those steps and kind of how the community comes together to help people win. Like you said, when it gets really hard and challenging because um, challenging times will always be around and won't go away. And so it's important to have that community and continue to go to meetings and kind of being inspiration for others and being able to really connect too. And that kind of leads into the next kind of question I had for you is um, what makes you feel inspired or feel like your best self? Uh, Let's see, you know, I can tell you, I can tell you that um, probably in my present day, the most inspiring thing for me is the opportunity that I've been given to work with uh, Wisconsin Voices and ED2. And, and I can tell you that individually, and I, and I had an opportunity this morning to talk to some, a mother on the phone who uh, I've been working with her son for quite a long time. And he finally uh, was able to accept and is now in a program over in Milwaukee at the Salvation Army. And, and after many trials and tribulations to see him finally figure out what he needed to do. And I've had these moments and I call them the, the, the God moments, um, and the, the, the moments when you have chills and I've never in any of the jobs that I've ever had in my entire life, I've never been in a situation where I, you know, like when I've gone into the emergency room and, and, and to break through and finally gain that trust from somebody, even at my age and working with somebody that might be really young and, and, and seeing them open up to you and, uh, like I said, it just gives you the chills when, when they make a comment and you know that there's a chance that they, they might be able to figure this out and, uh, and find their way to recovery and getting their lives back. Because when I was out there using and drinking, I always said, you know, I was just existing and now I have a life and, and I embrace that life. And, and, uh, you know, I get to do all these things that, you know, whether it's jumping out of an airplane or, uh, or just helping another individual find their, their truth. It's, uh, you know, it's a lifelong journey. So. Yeah. And for our listeners that don't know maybe as much about ED2 or that program, can you share more about your experiences with the program and being in the emergency rooms and maybe some stories or impactful moments from that? Yeah, so I started. Uh, I started this about four years ago, maybe even almost five years ago now, and and took a recovery coach class. And uh, I started out going into the emergency room, and and uh, you know, of course, we took 
did all the training, but then I, I went into the emergency room. One of the very first experiences was uh, uh, going into the emergency room and it was a young man who had overdosed on heroin. And um, I'd never been around somebody that was, uh, you know, I mean, it was a situation where if they hadn't given him, him Narcan, he he probably, no, he probably would have died. And um, it was a situation where he had just like a couple days before that got out of prison and uh, he was 25 years old and his 18 year old brother took him uh, or gave him heroin. And so I think it was a situation where he had done heroin before and so he ended up taking a dose that was just as much as the last time he took and he was, he couldn't handle it. And so not only when I was I dealing with, with him in the emergency room, but also his mother and brother out, I walked out into the, the waiting room and she looked at, I said, you know, how, how are you doing? And the first thing that she said was, he's the one that needs help you know, and he had track marks all up and down his arm. So, um, I had an opportunity to work with, with them, uh, and, and watch them both, uh, get recovery and, and a mother that got her sons back. And so, um, you know, those are the situations that, that really move you. But then a, a, another situation, um, just in the last, year uh a young man that actually he's going to celebrate his first name's mikey and he's gonna he's about ready to sell celebrate one year of sobriety and and uh you know he's he's busy right now uh you know kind of paying off his debt to society he's in drug court but i've watched him get his life back but unfortunately he was in a situation where um he he ended up um, well, I, I chased him in and out of emergency rooms three different times and him and his girlfriend. And the last time he was in the hospital, the doctor said to him that if he left the hospital that day, he would be dead in four days. And what he heard as an addict was that he could go out and use for three more days. And that's what he did. He bolted, he went out, and after that third day of which he almost died, he ended up calling uh, his mom. His mom took him to the hospital. He spent 48 days in the hospital. And um, that's what it took for him as a 22-year-old to finally, um, finally have enough sobriety and not using for him to get the program. You know, unfortunately, um, his girlfriend and another friend, another girl that he ran with, were still out there. And so one of the things he did when he when he got out, we start going to a meet, meetings immediately and, and, and started working with him. Um, he tried he reached out to them and, and tried to get them to come in the program. And, and unfortunately, neither one would they were still hooked and his girlfriend at the time you know she was somebody that had been a cheerleader in high school she was part of the the water ski uh 
team in Janesville. And I get a call one day that she had died of an overdose. And, and within the next week, the other uh, girl that he had, uh, had, that he had been with also was found dead in Texas. And, and that's how powerful this disease of heroin is. And so um, anyway, I'm kind of getting off of what the question was, you know, what does the, what does the, the ED2 and the Wisconsin voices mean to me? And, And that's what it means. You know, I feel like I'm doing the most important work that I've ever done in my entire life. Uh, you know, and, and we really do have an opportunity to save lives. The sad part is we we don't save everybody and people are still dying out there. And so, um, you know, I've been given an opportunity now to work with, with the program uh, or with the ED2 and Wisconsin Voices. And, and, and a big part of my job is getting uh, 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 lock boxes out into communities all over the state and we're going to build that infrastructure and there's no doubt in my mind that we will be saving lives and there's no doubt in my mind that we've already saved lives just by making sure that different organizations and places throughout the state have nalox boxes and so i'm i'm just so excited uh, about that i've been uh with with uh, the state organization for about or with university for about two months now. And, and, um, we've, we've already had a, a lot of questions and inquiries about how can other people get these Nilox boxes. And so I'm, I'm so excited to be working with the team and, and we have some very dedicated people in, uh, that I'm working with. And so, uh, really looking forward to the opportunity to really have an impact and save lives. Yeah. And I really appreciated your answer, Mike, because you kind of touched on how there's all these inspiring moments of connection with other people in recovery, but then there's also the really hard moments. And like you said, the inability to kind of save everybody and be able to kind of bring everyone into the recovery community. And so what would you say is the biggest challenge for you working in the addiction recovery field? And what is your favorite thing about it? Well, uh, so I'm one of those, uh, I'm really kind of a hands-on type of person as far as, you know, when I, whenever I would go into the emergency room, um, you know, to me, it's personal. It's not, it's not about, uh, uh, me just being in a situation where, okay, I'm going to give this person the resources and then, you know, and then they're on their own. You know, to me, the most important thing is developing that relationship and the follow up. And and so when, you know, so one of the obviously one of the most difficult things is when you find out somebody that you had been working with and, and you know, planting that seed and, and hoping, hoping they they will be able to survive long enough to finally get recovery. And because with heroin, there is no alternative. I mean, either you find recovery in, in whatever form that is, or this, this 
heroin and and the fentanyl that's mixed in it will will get you and uh, so that's the most difficult part um, to to get to know people on a personal level and then then to get that phone call and find out that they didn't make it on the on the alternative side of that is uh, is to finally get through to somebody and um, you know, like Mike, he's, he's one of them, uh, and, and realize that they finally have recovery. And, um, one of the things that I, that I've told Mikey and I, I tell a lot of people, um, I probably repeated a lot is, you know, people that have suffered greatly have so much to offer. They have, you know, it's like, you know, I always tell them, you know, God's got big plans for you, you know, you, you know, and it's, and it's, it's what you choose to do with, with what happened to you and, and what you, you know, and, and so like, for example, Mikey, I hope that, that he'll be involved with this program, that he'll be a recovery coach or a peer support specialist, because, you know, you talk about somebody like him, he's got such street smarts. I really believe that if he, he was kind of, even when he was in the, the throes of his addiction, he was kind of the one that had the street smarts that if the two friends, his girlfriend and, and her friend, if, if he was still with them, they'd probably still be alive. That's just my opinion. I, and so once again, I, I just think that, that people that finally get it, um, you know, I, I think of another guy that was 62 years old. His his first name was Mark. When I first met him, uh, it was him and Buster. And and I actually had met him a couple years before that. And 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 so he's 62 years old. I you know I'm pretty close in age to him. And he he was a guy that got in an accident and started taking painkillers. And you know he he was a guy that had a house you know, ranch style house. He had a boat and a motorcycle and a car. And, and when I first met him, it was in the summer a couple years ago and he was living in a park, him and Buster, his dog, a little schnauzer were living in the park. And that drug, uh, that heroin had taken everything from him, everything. And, um, you know, he finally, after, you know, being in and out of jail, um, he finally, he, he, he finally was able to find recovery and sobriety. And, um, he moved up North. He's living on a farm up there and, uh, you know, we keep in touch, you know, uh, and he's, he's doing, he's doing really good, him and Buster. And, uh, at one point he lost his dog and, um, and, uh, and, and he was able to get his dog back, you know, after getting out of jail. And, and, uh, anyway, it, there's a lot of heartwarming stories about people that, that found recovery. And so I guess my, my biggest point to all this is that recovery, you know, is, you know, is doable. It, you know, it, you know, if you can survive long enough, um, and this, and the drug doesn't kill you, recovery is a wonderful thing. And it's, you know, my own recovery has, has been 
an amazing journey of ups and downs. And, and, uh, but you know, I, I always said that when I was using, it was like a roller coaster ride and the emotional part of it. And then meant that the, you know, the, um, the, uh, the, the, you know, like the, um, the part of it that, that, you know, where it's the, um, it's not only a physical addiction, obviously you're mentally, it's, it's definitely something that, that affects you. And so, um, once again, I, it was like a roller coaster. It was the ups and downs. And I said, because of recovery, I live on a pretty solid plane. The lows aren't so low and the highs aren't so high, but, but, you know, that when I say the highs aren't as high, um, my highs are, are by choice, whether it's jumping out of an airplane or spending time with my grandkids and being the fun grandpa, that type of thing. Um, those are the rewards of, of recovery and just being present, you know, just, just, um, living the life that God intended me to live. Yeah. And I, really like hearing kind of you telling stories about people that you've interacted with and the experiences that you've had, because I think it's really important for people to realize that addiction is this disease that kind of sucks the livelihood out of people. And I think that there's a lot of stigma about addiction, as you know, and that's kind of the work that we're doing at Wisconsin Voices is attempting to reduce that stigma. And so I guess, my question for you is what's a commonly held belief about addiction or recovery that you'd like to see changed? Well, probably the most important thing would be that, um, you know, some people it's all they've ever known. And so they don't realize that there's a whole nother life out there. And, uh, you know, for me, like I said, I, before I got into recovery, it was, it was just existing. I, you know, going through the motions, knowing something was missing, but never being able to figure that out. Cause it certainly couldn't have been my drinking, you know, because that was normal. That's, that's what I had learned over the years. I mean, it's like, I thought everybody drank. I remember going to my first Wisconsin Badger game sober and I'm looking around and I'm going, where's all the the partiers, where's all the drunk people? I thought everybody drank before they went to a, to a Badger game. And, and what I found out is no, people were, were there with their families and they were there with their friends. The majority, of course there's people, but what I, what I learned was I would look around in in the different sections and it, and it seemed like in every section there was that one guy and I was that one guy. I thought people came there to, for me to entertain them. And so I was always that loud guy. And, uh, you know, what I found out is, you know, there, you know, there, that obnoxious guy in each section or, or person in each section was not what they came there for. They came there to watch a football game and watch one of the greatest organizations in, in, in the world, as far as, um, you know, as far as uh, entertainment goes, as you know, being part of uh, the Wisconsin Badgers uh, history. So I'm not sure if I answered your question or not, but. 
that's actually very pertinent in Wisconsin culture. And I went to a Badger game recently too, and kind of had some of the same thoughts and kind of wonder what we can do as a Wisconsin community to address that culture. Because like you were saying, it's so common and it's, it's everywhere. And I'm wondering how we can make it normal to maybe not be a part of that drinking culture and thinking in my mind, like how that can be accomplished. I don't know. Um, what, what kind of work have you done to kind of help normalize the sober community and the sober culture of still enjoying things um, while staying sober? Yeah, it's, you know, when you think about the culture here in, in, uh, you know, I think in large part, it's, it's, uh, it's really, you know, it comes from our heritage, you know, whether, whether you were uh, Norwegian or Irish or the Germans, you know, we all came, that's kind of what we came from. And so it's really built into our society. And I, you know, I, I look at it this way, I, I think we can have an impact and I think, and we've already had, have started some discussions on how do we, how do we, you know, I, I, I think of it like a, a giant ship and, you know, we're not going to completely change the culture in the state of Wisconsin, but, but we need to make sure that people know that there are other options out there. There are other, you know, there's another way to live it. And, and, uh, you know, I, I think of um, when we, when I was in the state legislature, we took on the, the smoking issue and um, we, um, you know, I, I remember, you know, one of the things when we were going to say no more smoking in public places. And, you know, I ended up, I went on a listening tour and, and, and there, there was a bar that we went by. I was on a bus in, in Janesville, Wisconsin, when there was a bar that we went by and they had, they were all standing out in the parking lot and they're, you know, like they, and they came and visited me in my office and, and they're like, you can't, you can't do that. That's part of our culture. That's what we do. And, and uh, now if you go into those same bars and restaurants, they're so happy to have that. And so I know it can be done and it's just a matter of having the courage. And I think that uh, Wisconsin Voices, ED2, uh, we University of Wisconsin School of Medicine, we can have an impact on that. And one of the things that that I like is that uh, the doc, um, uh, they are there. Uh, there is a program, uh, CHEP program. Did I say that right? Anyway, in in which they are future doctors. They're they're um, they're getting them connected with the recovery community so that they have an understanding when somebody comes into their office, you know, and, and they're struggling with their health or, or their, whether it's physical or mental health, that, you know, maybe there's the underlying factor could be drugs or alcohol. And, and in a large part, you know, uh, people that struggle with, uh, um, with issues, emotional issues, you know, what's the easiest thing to do? Turn to drugs and alcohol. And so, um, I think we're going to have a, a huge impact on that when we partner with other organizations through the university and help uh, help turn that ship, you know. And uh, uh, just along those lines, uh, one of the things that um, in the community, um, 
you know, there's a lot of, uh, one of the things when you get involved with, uh, recover, the recovery community, there's a lot of, uh, things going on where there's alternative ways to have fun. And, uh, you know, whether, you know, whether it be, uh, joining, a, uh, uh, joining different activities like, um, um, volleyball or, or, you know, art or, uh, there's a lot of different things that they're doing now, uh, that are alternatives to drinking, whether, you know, it could be, you know, uh, going to a dance on a Saturday night where there's no, no drinking. And, but people are having a heck of a good time. Karaoke. There's so many things you can do without having to drink. So, or use drugs. Yeah, you're totally right. And it's really kind of hopeful for you to give the example about the smoking indoors, because that shows that it really can be done with enough work and advocacy. And speaking of advocacy, excuse me, um, you mentioned your time in the legislature. And so you did spend some time in the political slash legislative world. Um, So could you speak a little bit more about that experience and what that was like and some important lessons that you learned as being a part of that? Yeah, so I would say that, um, you know, for a guy that came, uh, you know, I started working at General Motors at 18 years old worked on the factory floor for, you know, the, the first 15 years of, of my, uh, my work career. And uh, the biggest part was I didn't have any self-esteem and, and drinking certainly didn't help that and getting into recovery and, um, finally realizing, you know, okay. And, and having just a, just a smidgen of, of, uh, confidence because of being in recovery and going to meetings and, and realizing that I wasn't the worst person in the world. I, I, uh, made the decision to, well, I got involved with my union. So I was very involved, worked my way up through that, that, that system, um, uh, United Auto Workers. And, and my last uh, position there was as president for the United Auto Workers, something that I never thought would happen to me, you know, uh, but it was all because of, my recovery and getting, uh, getting drugs and alcohol out of the way. So three years into, uh, being president of my local, I ran for the state legislature. And, uh, I remember, um, and it's something that there's, there's no way I would have ever done that before that, uh, because like I said, who I had terrible self-esteem and, you know, who would ever vote for me? Well, thank thanks to recovery. I, I, you know, I, and, and, uh, trusting in God and, and, uh, that type of stuff. I, I ran and, um, and I got elected and I remember my very first meeting in the legislature and I walked into the North hearing room and, uh, in the state capitol and I'm, I'm looking around and I'm looking at all these important people and I'm going, Oh my God, how did I get here? And six months later, I looked around that same room and I thought, Oh my God, how did they get here? And, and I love telling that story because what I've, what, and I'd say this to anybody in recovery, you can do or be whatever you want to be. And, and, and I think I'm, I'm proof of that because of, because of my recovery. And so, um, some of the, uh, things that I learned in the legislature was, you know, I would call it my, my giant dysfunctional family. You know, there is, unfortunately, um, you know, we were, we were able to get a lot of good things done when I was in the legislature that I'm, I'm very proud of, 
you know, one of the is a, the, the no smoking policy. We worked on on issues uh, in, uh, with drunk driving uh, to try tie and try and tighten up those laws, and um, you know we had some success there. And and I know there there's there needs to be a lot more done with that. But um, probably the biggest thing that I learned uh, when I was in the legislature was. Um, there was a lot of good people there, but there was a lot, also a lot of people that were there for the wrong reasons and, and for their own self-serving reasons and, and, um, and, and, and that weren't there to do what was right for the citizens in, in our state. And so that was probably the biggest disappointment. It was always, uh, it, you know, it always had that, uh, the thing hanging over your head was that people were, you know, they were from each party, we're always looking for ways to trip you up in, in order to use that in your next election. And, and instead of doing the people's work and, and doing what's right for the people. But with that said, we, we were still able to accomplish a, a lot of a lot of good things uh, while I was in the legislature. So. Yeah, thanks for sharing more about that experience. Since recovery and kind of our work here at Wisconsin Voices has a lot to do with advocacy and kind of getting those things passed or making the legislation or people who work in politics kind of aware of the important issues surrounding recovery. I think it's really important to kind of know how that process works and the difficulties and challenges that come with that. So that's really great that you have that experience. And I think that'll bring a lot kind of into your future as you continue to kind of advocate for recovery and um, hopefully more can be done to support the recovery community too, as we move forward. Yeah. Let me, let me throw something else into that. I don't want to, I don't want to completely uh, be in a situation where, where I make it sound like you you can't get anything done because um, you know, we still have a, a great working relationship with, with the legislature. And, and quite frankly, you know, I was a Democrat, but, um, we, we worked, um, you know, so you got a split government there. You've got uh, a governor that's a Democrat and then the Republicans control the legislature. And we were able to work with both sides And that. That's what I always liked about being in the legislature is, is the ability to work with both sides, you know, for the important legislation that needed to, to, to be done. And so we were able to do that with a lot, uh, some things in the last legislative session in, in which, um, the, one of the leaders from the Re- Republican party, uh, who is the, the chair of joint financing, um, who had a daughter that was impacted by, and, you know, I don't mind saying that because I'm not naming any names, but also he was pretty, um, public about it, but, uh, a daughter that really stu- struggled with heroin. And so it was almost, a. Um, I talked to him personally and I said, it's almost, you know, I, I think that God puts people in different positions in, uh, you know, that are affected personally that become passionate about an issue. And he was passionate about it. And we were able to pass some great legislation um, that, that to this day is going to help people, you know, to find recovery. So, you know, sometimes we need to pass laws that, that, um, you know, different organizations might not like, but it's in the long run, it's going to help individuals to find recovery and in, in, in the long term, you know, uh, help support 
the hospitals and the doctors and the nurses uh, in those situations to um, help help people that struggle with drugs and alcohol. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's kind of what it's all about is having that passion and energy and, and patience to kind of really see things through and make sure that um, there is support on a governmental and systems level for people who are struggling with addiction, their families, their community. I think that that's really the most important part to keep in mind in this work. And so I, I appreciate all of the examples and the stories that you've brought up. I think they've been very useful and very rich. And with the last couple of minutes that we do have, my final question for you is, what do you think is the number one suggestion you would give to someone to maintain long-term sobriety or useful tools and practices that can help in times of stress or challenging times? That great question. You know, the most important thing that I have seen over the years is, um, you know, and, and we, we try and give people lots of choices, but I, I love the say, saying that meeting makers make it. And, and when I say that, you know, whether it's, whether it's AA or Narcotics Anonymous or any other type of support groups, uh, in a community that, that, that's what I've seen over the years is, um, you know, people that have found their niche in recovery. And the other probably most important thing is to be able, you know, in order for me to keep my, uh, sobriety and my quality of life is helping another person that's out there still suffering or trying to get better. You know, that we always say that you can't keep it unless you give it away. And, and, and so to get out there and, um, you know, sponsor, uh, somebody, you know, we have sponsors in, in, in AA and NA, and it's just somebody that you can talk to and, and talk about your innermost, uh, thoughts, you know, whether they're positive or negative and negative. And I, I, I think about, um, uh, you know, somebody that we had a, a girl at the meeting on, on Sunday and I call and excuse, this is just what I call it because people really understand this is inside of us. We have these things gurgling and, and having the ability to just excuse me, but it's puke it all out just to get it out of your system and talk about it. And once you've talked about that, you can finally do something about it. And, and so that's the most important thing. I, you know, the most important thing is just working with other people, reaching out to people that are in stress. And you can see that sometimes it's a matter of just planting the seed. They might not even know that they have a drug and alcohol problem, but, but to be able to uh, let them know uh, that there is an answer and, and that's what happened to me. Somebody planted the seed for me and I didn't, it took me a couple more years and I still thank him every time I see him. Thanks for planting the seed, you know? And so just to be able to, to lovingly tell somebody that maybe they should look at their, you know, their drug and alcohol issue. Awesome. Great. Thank you so, so much, Mike, for being a guest today on the podcast. Um, is there anything else that you would like to add just to kind of summarize our discussion today. 
No, I, you know, I know this is your, the first time, but I think you, you have a future in this. You're, you're just really good about, um, you know, asking the questions in, in a way that allowed me to dig deep and, and, uh, you know, I, I just hope that others that, uh, have the opportunity to, to do this or take this opportunity, um, to share their story, you know, even if it's just with another individual, if you're in recovery and, uh, and, and you see somebody struggling out there, you never know how just a kind word to that person might be just what they needed to hear to start the process of getting their life back. That's awesome. Thanks so much, Mike. And thank you for the compliment. Thank you for the amazing discussion today. Um, you're great at kind of sharing your story and speaking and gave so many great examples and stories and it's very, very much appreciated. Um, so listeners and friends, thank you for listening to the Sober Podcast today. Um, again, stories of Badgers empowering recovery. We hope you stay healthy, happy, and safe. Thank you.